very interesting question that people often think of regarding Indian uh, Indic epistemology and Indic science with, with relation to the global scenario is how Indian fields of knowledge or Indian schools of knowledge have influenced the uh, have influenced other civilizations and other aspects uh, of global culture. So, could you please shed some light on that? Sure, yes, yes. So this is one of the deeply contentious areas. Ever since Max Mueller and others have discounted Indian works, saying these are unreliable, there's a tendency by even present-day Indian scholars, uh, some of them in the leftist camp and so on, to deride all the Indian works as mythology or unreliable mm-hmm. and these things, and they never studied these works. So they are now tied to a different model. What is a different model? Once they have accepted these chains in their mind that say 1500 BCE is when the so-called Aryans came to India. And by the way, they destroyed a superior culture, which was a civilization. And these pastoral nomadic people who didn't even have a script, these people, uncivilized people lived in India after destroying that. When from 1500 BCE all the way to Magadha, the claim is there was no civilization in India. So it was Magadha's contact with the Greeks that brought back civilization to India. It is after that we see Ashoka's writings and other such rubbish. So this is the kind of narration that's taken root. So the if, if this is a story, then the story is how can India have knowledge? Because the Harappas are an isolate. We don't know their language. We don't know what they ate, what they worship. This is the story even to the present day. They are an isolate. They were looking mostly to Sumeria and other places, not towards India. They were an isolate civilization. And Indians were uncivilized, like I said, till Magadha uh, contact, which is 300 BC and so on. How can you have developed mathematics, astronomy, medicine, and all these fields? It's impossible. So the theory came that they must have started from the Greeks. The Greeks and the Babylonians and the Egyptians and the Chinese, all this is what uh, brought knowledge to India. So Indians have been great students for the longest time, but we had nothing to teach the world. This is a story that is there in the textbooks even today. Unfortunately, it is utterly bogus if you start removing these constraints. Remove the constraint of Aryan invasion theory, examine the internal evidence for what it is, whether it is hydrology, whether it is astronomy, whether it is archaeology, and start examining the deep antiquity of the Indian civilization. Start looking at the knowledge systems itself. Why did they evolve? How did they evolve? And how did they cause an impact? We see great antiquity in the works. So having said that as a background, first I'll tell you just the transmission systems if you ask about the impact on other cultures, we can go back to uh, very ancient periods of time and question certain things. We can question, why is it that in the Egyptian tradition, we do not see evidence of medicine until the Smith papyrus or the Ebers papyrus or the Cajon papyrus, all of which can be dated around 1500 BCE, 1600 BCE and so on. Only those are showing medical knowledge, not prior to that. You go to the Mitannis or the Kessites or the Nippur archives of medical uh, letters and so on. Everywhere we are seeing the same thing. Medical knowledge has come here only around 1500 BCE or 1600 BCE and not earlier. Whereas in India, I've shown in one of my uh, talks where, uh, where uh, Shushruta Samhita, using the methods of Rudolf Horner, who was a, a, a bone specialist who studied how old can Shushruta Samhita be, 
he dated Shushruta Samhita to 600 BCE. I used his methods and said that if uh, Shatapata Brahmana is talking about Kritika in 3000 BCE, using the same methodology that uh, Rudolf Hallner did, I was showing that Shushruta Samhita must also be dated around 3000 BCE timeframe. We know that there were migrations from India around 2000 BCE when India experienced a 100-year monsoon failure. That monsoon failure with the drying up of Saraswati led to outward migrations. How do we know about this? We have, for example, cattle genomics. Just two years back, July 2019, in a paper in Science, there's a publication that said the Indian cattle called Boss Indicus, this is a humped bull that we see in India, this suddenly, its presence went up in the Mitanni lands, in, uh, in Hittite lands, which is northern Iraq, southern Turkey, suddenly around 4,000 years ago. And by studying the genomics, they were able to propose that the multi-century drought in the Indus Valley led the people to migrate out. And their cattle is seen here. Why is the Indian cattle important? Because it is adapted to the arid conditions in India. Very valuable compared to European species that are not adapted to arid conditions. When the climate changes, becomes arid, this is the cattle that is going to give you wealth. Cattle was the wealth of the ancient world. So we see cattle genomics. We see many other things uh, that is talking about migrations from India to this part of the world, which is also part of what Shekhan Telegiri's models are, incidentally, and the kind of models that Conrad Ellis is also seeing. All of these things are talking about radiating out from India. This is the model that has been uh, uh, discussed by several serious researchers today. If this is the case, then we can indeed see that Indians also took their knowledge systems, which could mean knowledge of astronomy, knowledge of medicine. Suddenly you're seeing in uh, Egyptian lands, Mitanni lands, Hittite lands, Indian knowledge systems coming up over there. So this is, this is, this is one. I've discussed this in my talk on antiquity of Indian medical systems. I discuss in greater detail. And uh, 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 going to the next time frame, from 3000 BC to around this time frame, we can see this is one route for knowledge transfer. Second route for knowledge transfer is uh, uh, the post-Alexander time frame. From 300 BC onwards, remember that uh, um, uh, we, we had a consolidated empire in India and the Greeks were pushed all the way from Persia, the Seleucid Empire, up to the Mediterranean lands. So this formed a conduit for knowledge transfer between the Seleucid Empire and India. So this is one route for knowledge transfer. Third route for knowledge transfer, the Silk Route. The Silk Route was an informal uh, trading network all the way from Southeast Asia, through China, through India, through uh, Central Asian lands, up to Mediterranean lands. And they were trading in a whole lot of things. I have talked about this in relation to the Bakshali manuscript and other, other things. There's a lot of, lot of, lot of uh, incidents there. On the trading route was found the so-called Boer manuscript. Boer manuscript is the oldest existing manuscript we have of Indian medical systems. It is a birch bark document in Gupta Prakrit script that has got the Bela Samhita, Charaka Samhita, uh, mentioned several rishis. And where was this document found? It was found in Xinjiang province in 1800s and given to a British officer called Boer. That's why it's called Boer manuscript. And the fact that Indian uh, manuscripts, medical manuscripts are found in the Silk Road tells me that Indian knowledge also went all over the place in the Silk Road. And uh, we also have uh, evidence of these Buddhist transmissions to China, to Southeast Asia, as well as this part of the world. We also have knowledge about uh, um, um, 
in in the christian world after after the roman the before that the roman empire so the roman empire through the trading that they had the so called periplus of the erythrean sea this is a port sailors document that says where in india were all the ports to to trade in so from maybe 100 bce all the way to maybe 300 current era enormous trading was happening between india and the roman empire and this also formed a conduit for knowledge transmission through the maritime route then you have the uh, constantine christianity followed by theodosius followed by the byzantine kingdom which is uh, christian in nature and they had several inquisitions and uh, issues among themselves which led to the nestorians who were a certain sect of christianity being persecuted in the byzantine kingdom so they fled from there to jundi shapur they fled from there to india also landed up in kerala and became the syrian christians around uh, 400 current era 600 current era thomas kana was one of the persons and so on several of these merchants so these people continued to have contacts with edessa the bishop in syria and other such places and indian knowledge is transferred from here to there and we have got evidence of that also through the writings of some syrian bishops in the 7th century we know indian knowledge is transmitted there also then going to uh, travelers Uh, before that talk with the muslim period all the way from when sindh fell to bin qasim the 7th and 711 or so they also took several indian pundits forcibly kidnapped them took them to baghdad and they were converted and made to translate the works what works were translated works like charaka samhita shushita samhita brahmagupta's works on mathematics astronomy all these things were translated into arabic and persian and they were injected into the umayyad uh, and the abbasid empire which ranged all the way from sindh to uh, iran area to uh, arabia area to all the way to algeria egypt uh, morocco all the way to tunisia up to spain southern spain southern spain cordoba was a capital northern spain was christian and uh, uh, toledo was a capital in northern spain there were christian monasteries whose only job was to translate arabic works into latin all the way from 10th century 11th century 12th century 13th century they were translating these works on the muslim side you had baghdad house of wisdom and places like that consolidating indian knowledge forcibly got indian knowledge was consolidated over there along with greek knowledge translated into arabic on that side translated into arabic into latin injected into europe and uh, uh, pretty soon after the after after spain had reconquered all of spain for christianity that was followed by inquisition that soon led to the age of reformation and the so called renaissance of the european thought that led to a regurgitation of indian knowledge as if it is european knowledge without citations mm-hmm. because the church still had its control over what people could site they could not use muslim sources uh, for these works works of satan then we have colonialists colonialists who came to india directly and took knowledge and went over there we know this enormous knowledge whether it is a french whether it is a british whether it is a dutch we know the works it took for example dutch there is a person called bartholomew ziegenberg 
he came to uh, Tranquibar and he took several Tamil books uh, which were translated into uh, their works containing enormous knowledge. We know the French who have the largest collection of Shaiva Siddhanta manuals in French Institute of Pondicherry. We know the British who took enormous knowledge in various uh, areas to their own systems. So Divyanshi, I think it, this is like a two or three hour talk on knowledge transmission. I'm sorry I've taken so much time in saying that. Yeah. But whatever period of time you take, I will show you a transmission mechanism in which knowledge transferred from India to certain part of the world, ancient world, medieval world, and the near modern world. And I'll show you the impact it has had. So there is a lot to say on this. That is the bottom line. Please remember to subscribe to us and switch on the notifications for this channel. For our other social media links, more content, and to support our work, please visit citti.net. Dhanavad. Namaskar.